Welcome to another inspirational podcast from Junction 28 Church. We're so glad that you've decided to join us today and know that God wants to bless you with this message. We'd love to hear about it, so why not tell us on our Facebook or Twitter pages? If you would like further information about who we are, check out our website www.thejunction28church.com We hope you enjoy this message. It's interesting that uh, Nathan should say that I'm going to come up here and encourage you this morning because that's exactly that's exactly what I hope that we will do. Um, just incredible, isn't it? The power of prayer, power of coming together. You know, we say lots and lots of people have been prayed for. We've got to believe that Jesus is going to do something. Amen? So if you're one of those people who have been prayed for and Jesus does something, you should also let us know as well because that is a huge encouragement and helps everybody's faith to rise. But we pray for lots of people. We want to see God do something this morning. And, and God has been moving through the worship. God is moving now. And we come to this message. And... This is an important time. And the message I'm going to share this morning, I'm going to say that it's the second part to the message that I brought last time on Storm Ophelia. I say that because if I don't say it, you won't think it is. Because it's going to sound like it's something completely different, but actually it is tied in to last time. And last time I talked about storms in our lives, the storms that were coming. There was this big storm going to hit Ireland, for those who weren't here. And we were talking about Jesus on the Sea of Galilee and how that storm came up and it was Christians who were in it and how do we handle that when we're in the storm at that time. That's not my subject this morning, but all of that, if you think about it, was focused upon us, my situation, where I'm at in the storm with Jesus. That's a great place to be when we focus on that and we have faith. But you know what the thing is? We're a body of Christ. And it's why I love the fact that we prayed this morning. Because even though it's really, really important that we focus on our storm, our situation, and where we are with Jesus, what Jesus wants us to do is actually have a look at other people and the storms that they're going through or their situations and actually to think beyond ourselves and to start thinking about them. And that becomes a little bit more of a challenge for us, particularly if we're the ones in the midst of challenge. But I just want you, at the very outset this morning, I'm going to make you think for one second, and I'm going to ask you a really difficult question. It's the kind of question that if I was sat down there, I would be really pleased if the preacher didn't ask me to think about it, because I wouldn't know the answer. Here's the question. What would people call you if they were to name you after your primary characteristic. Ooh. <laughs> Could almost hear the pain going through. <laughs> if everybody in here, we got everybody to name you after what they saw in you as your main characteristic, and we got everybody to come up for every person, what would you be called? It's quite terrifying, isn't it? I want you actually to think about that for a moment. Actually, put a word in your head. What would they call you? Or what do you think they will call you? I hope, <laughs> I hope for most that it is positive. At least as a positive word. <laughs> That's my wife. 
And I just want you to hold on to that because I'm going to come back to that in a moment. What would people call you? But I am actually going to talk football for a moment. And it came around as a result. I'm not going to mention Derby or Sheffield United. I'm actually going to mention a team that most of us don't really know anything about, Barnsley. <laughs> and, and a couple of years ago, I was up there actually at Oakwell, which is Barnes's ground, and I was doing coaching actually on the pitch, and Caitlin, she's over there, she was actually playing at Oakwell. Uh, so it was an incredible opportunity, and just an amazing experience. And my, my other daughter had asked just recently, which got me thinking about this again, Lucy says, said to me, she said, why do sports teams do better at home than they do away? Oh, that's a really good question for an eight-year-old to ask. And it got me thinking, why do sports teams do better at home than away? Right, so Sheffield United, we've lost four away from home this season. And we've just lost one. We've won every game by one at home. It's like, why is that? It's like it's the same players. It's pretty much the same size pitch. We're playing the same sport. Almost everything's exactly the same, apart from one thing. The one thing that is different is the crowd. Isn't it? It's who is being, who are the majority of people at the ground supporting. That's the only difference between home and away. I mean, you could argue for long distance journeys, but for example, Derby County, they probably haven't got tired from travel, traveling up to Sheffield, have they really? It's not a major reason. So you've got this area, right, where that is the case, isn't it? It's like the people who are at home seem to win more, and the reason they win more is because people seem to be supporting them. And I went to Barnsley, I've been in lots of football stadiums, but I hadn't actually been coaching on a pitch before. And unfortunately, our side were playing Barnsley. So it meant that pretty much all of the people in the stadium were supporting them, not us. And there's only about two, 300 people there. It was a good crowd, two or 300 people. And when Barnsley scored against us, which they did a few times, it's like suddenly this wall of noise came across the centre of the pitch. Two or three hundred people in a 20,000 stadium. A wall of noise came, and it was unlike even being in the stands. It was just incredible. And I started to understand really what this was all about in terms of how it could motivate a player to run a yard faster, to keep going when they're tired, to, to do things well on a pitch. It was all down to the fact they've got 20,000 people yelling at them to do well, whereas that 20,000 people don't want the other guys to do well. That's a sporting context, right? But you know, it's applicable in the church as well. That is the thing. So when Nathan says, I'm going to encourage you this morning, the actual main focus of the sermon is encouragement. It is literally, that is what I want to talk about. You see, today in this world... Many people live in a world that's broken marriages, insufficient or low-paid jobs, drug and alcohol abuse, crime, unwanted pregnancies. This is what the news brings to us, isn't it? Threat of terrorism, all of this stuff being bombarded at us, and they call it the news. I often think they should just actually list the title of the programmes as bad news, because that's all we get. You don't get much good news, or they'll give you 30 seconds at the end of the programme to say some nice story. But it's almost, oh, here's something that went wrong here. Here's something that went wrong here. This is a disaster here. This is where the government's spending the money wrong. It's just on and on and on and on. And, you know, people are living in that context. 
Some things that may have been thrown at you this morning when people look at you, you know, those magazines and people talk about what you should be like. And, you know, you know, maybe this morning you've been classed as you're too fat. If not, you're too thin or you're too tall or you're too short. You're too black. No, you're too white. You're too old. You're too young. You're not pretty enough. You're not smart enough. You're not athletic enough. You're not strong enough. That's what's been thrown at us all the time, isn't it? Whatever it is that's going on, you're just not right. <laughs> It's just, it's not you. There's something wrong with you. you. Somehow you don't fit into the perfect person criteria. And that is the message that the world is throwing at us day after day after day after day. And people from that, and it's even in the church, you know, that does not, that impacts the church. It's not just for outside the walls. But when people come in here, the one thing I would want from a church is for the church to be a place where we bring a different message. Where we don't bring all of that negativity, but where we bring a positive message, where people who are broken and hurting and discouraged are able to find encouragement, where they can step into the building in the morning and however they're feeling, when we leave, we're feeling better. Because we've met with God, but because we've met with people as well. And that's the thing. We meet with God, but you know, God is amazing. God can do amazing things. There may be people in the church this morning who walk, will walk out of the building and actually they've been healed. God has touched them and you're going to be feeling a whole lot better because God has actually healed you and done something amazing. But you know, for other people, the hope is that you leave the boat this morning feeling encouraged, not just because God's touched you in some way, but actually because people have also connected with you. That might sound strange, you know what I'm saying, why am I dividing this? And the reason I'm doing it is this, because God uses the church. That's how God reaches people, is through people. And sometimes we're hoping that, or expecting that God's just going to do it all by himself and we can just step out of the picture and it doesn't be, I don't have to be involved with it. But I want to tell you this morning, God wants you to be involved. You may have a tough situation and circumstance, but even though you do, that doesn't stop you from being in a position where you can encourage somebody. 1 Thessalonians 5.11. I'm going to pick up a few scriptures this morning, but this is the first one. And Paul said this to the church at Thessalonica, but I'm going to read the scripture and I'm going to say it to Junction 28 this morning. Therefore, encourage one another and build each other up just as, in fact, you are doing. What a great scripture. Comfort each other and edify one another just as you also are doing. My question to you this morning is, is encouragement a regular part of your conversation and actions? Maybe it's something that doesn't come naturally to you. It's listed as one of the gifts. But again, does that mean that you can't encourage because, just because it isn't your specific gifting? It is crucial that if we are going to have successful church and churches that grow, one of the key things that leadership you talk about is the culture of the church, developing the culture of the church. And now we want to have a church whose culture is defined by encouragement. Because when it is, when the church is defined by encouragement, that's what, when people say, what's the culture of your church? You go, it is a place of encouragement. You know what, we're onto something then. We're onto something because that's what God wants us to be. And if we're not that, how do we expect to win, win the people outside in South Normanton? Because somebody goes on, you have a conversation, you meet a friend, and you have a chat, and you say, oh, 
come to church this morning. It'll be so awesome. There'll be so much criticism and negativity and it'll make you feel even worse than you are doing now. Great place to come. Sure, you'll get saved in that environment. We know people come in and it's a place where they need to feel warm and cared for and loved and cherished. And it's something where they meet God through all the worship and through all the other stuff that's going on. But actually they meet God through you, through a conversation with you in the morning or in the, after the service where they hear something and see something in you and a word that you spoke that actually makes a difference in their life. Acts 4. Verse 36. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, who the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. I ask you again, what name would you be called if everyone defined you by your primary characteristic? That's where I started today. Here is a guy in Acts 4 whose name was changed. He's called Joseph, but then they say, no, we're not going to call you that now. We're going to call you Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, because we're actually going to call you after who you are. What a privilege that is for him. What a privilege. I would love that if somebody came and said, right, we're going to call you son of encouragement. You know, there's worse things you could be called than that. Here is a guy whose life was defined by the way that he encouraged people. Does that mean Barnabas didn't have his own challenges? Does it mean Barnabas didn't have his own problems? No, it doesn't. He had all of that, but his focus was on other people and upon encouraging them and seeing something in them that perhaps they didn't even see in themselves and certainly that other people couldn't see. Let me tell you about it a little bit. First thing with Barnabas, he accepted Paul at a time when the rest of the disciples wouldn't accept him. Hang on, this is Paul. This is the great apostle to the Gentiles. This is the guy who did all the missionary journeys and went all around the world and half of the New Testament's written because of him. It's like, surely he was accepted by all the brethren. But it says right at the very start, actually, once he got saved, he's doing a little bit of ministry in Damascus, doing some preaching, and as can happen in places like that, certain people get upset with him, shall we say. And they were really upset to the extent they decided that the best option was to kill him. That's pretty upset. And so what happens is Paul gets lowered out on a basket out of the city walls. Has anybody else been, ever escaped people trying to kill you by being lowered on a basket outside the city walls? Anybody? No? Okay. So that happened to Paul. So he's in a, in a tough situation... He's got saved, he's preaching, he's having to escape serious persecution. He get People help him out, and then he comes down to the point where he's going to meet all the disciples, all the people that he's to work with, who are the guys who lead this, this new um, organisation, whatever you call it, this new religion of Christianity. Here are the disciples, and look at this brother who's come down out of persecution, welcome him in with open arms, except that they don't. They go, you know what, this poor guy, we know what he's about, this is probably a ruse, I suspect he's just trying to kill us, so actually we don't want to see him, we don't want to speak to him, we don't want him anywhere near us, because we don't trust him. This is a guy who's just risked his life for the gospel. 
And the only one who took notice of Paul at that time was Barnabas. He saw Paul for who he was. He saw the potential in him. And he said, I will bring him to the disciples. I will be the link that brings Paul to where he needs to be. Can you imagine what happens in the New Testament if Barnabas doesn't do that? We often think about the Bible and read the Bible for what's in the Bible, but imagine what the Bible is like if certain people don't take, make the decisions that they make. If Barnabas doesn't make that decision, what becomes of Paul then? Secondly, Barnabas brought Paul to Antioch. Barnabas is not only spawning potential, but he's actually opening doors for Paul's ministry. So Paul has gone away for a time. There's a church up in Antioch. It happens to be one of the best churches in the entire first century. It's a missions church, all sorts of things happening. And Barnabas thinks about Paul and says, you know what? This guy's got some potential. I think he could do something. I'm going to bring him in to the leadership of this church and have him involved in taking this church forward. That's a big challenge. That's a risk. That's a risk. But Barnabas was prepared to take risks for the sake of the kingdom and because he saw something in, some, in people that others didn't see. And thirdly, and I love this one, Barnabas gave people second chances. On the first missionary journey, Barnabas and Paul have gone off, they've gone via Cyprus and then they've gone into southern Turkey preaching the gospel into areas that didn't know Christ. And somebody had gone with him and this guy was John Mark and He'd gone with him, young lad, on his first mission trip. It's all right in Cyprus, everything goes fine. But then when they get to southern Turkey, it, there's lots of oppression, there's stuff going on, it's not easy. And for John Mark, it's all a bit too much. And we don't know the exact reasons, but whatever happens is, he leaves. He goes home. It's like, I can't handle the rest of this mission trip, I'm done. And then later, when it came to talking about a second mission trip, Paul and Barnabas get together and they have a bit of a think about John Mark. It's like, well, what do you do when somebody's bailed out of your first mission trip? What happens if J28 are running a missions trip and someone's bailed out? What's our response usually? So, bail. Not going on this one. Not if they failed on the first one. And that was Paul's response. It was like, he's failed. This guy, not having him on another mission trip with me, not after what happened last time around, and Barnabas, he steps up and he goes, second chances. I see something in John Mark, and I think he should go. And the, set, the difference of opinion was so great that actually Paul and Barnabas split up, and Barnabas took John Mark. So even though Paul was against it, Barnabas was so determined that he was going to encourage John Mark and give him that second chance, that he was prepared to split on his missions journey from Paul in order to bring John Mark along. And what do we hear at the end of, in 2 Timothy 4.11? End of Paul's life, Paul's in prison, and Paul says something quite remarkable. This is Paul who says, John Mark, no, I don't think so. He then says, send John Mark to me, because he is useful in the ministry. Paul got it wrong. Barnabas got it right. He saw something in somebody. How often do we give people second chances when we fail? Because every one of us fails, don't we? You know, every single one of us fails, and every single one of us gets things wrong, 
And you know what? Every single one of us, when we fail, we want somebody to give us a second chance. But then we're not always prepared to give somebody else who's failed a second chance. We'd much rather pull them down and criticise them and pull them apart. And let me tell you, just in moving, I just want to share a few thoughts here about the process of encouragement. And I want to compare it with the process of criticism because essentially the two processes are exactly the same. Pro encouragement, criticism. You can choose either one, can't you? See, when you're criticising somebody, what you're doing is you're looking for areas where there's failure, where actually somebody may need a second chance. And you know, I'm not, I'm not going to, yeah, I am, I'm going to. So, so it's kind of like, I'm in the service this morning, I come in, I'm the speaker, and I listen, and it's like, you know what I like? It's like I know what I like, I know what kind of worship I like. And it's like, I can come in and I can choose to view things in different ways, can't I, Jess? <laughs> and I can look and I can go, you know what? Really, what would be excellent, excellent worship is rock music. That would be marvellous. You know, we can go boom, boom, and everybody could just get completely into it. And then these guys this morning, did you do that? You didn't do that. Did boring, daft, rubbish songs. It was a whole worship was boring. Oh, it was awful. I hated it, but I had to push through, I suppose, because I was coming up. But, you know, sure you did your best. But it was a bit naff, wasn't it, really? That's what we can do. We can pick all of that. Or, it's all right, I'll come to a positive. <laughs> or we can look at it, you know, even if the kind of worship or the style of music and the songs and the things are not really quite your thing and it's not necessarily what you choose to listen to, you can go, you know what, I really, really appreciate these guys because you know what, they come in every week, they come long before anybody else does, they're preparing, they're planning, they've got uh, midweek worship practice, they're doing all of this kind of stuff. And you know what, they're getting into God's presence before we do, so that when we arrive on a Sunday, they're already there and can take us into worship and lead us into the presence of God. And for that, I commend you, what a tremendous job they do. Uh, yeah? Can we do two things? It might be that I don't appreciate the style of music. It's not the best thing or what I would ideally prefer. But I can, use, I can look at it in two ways, can't I? I can look at it the critical way and I can pick out the little bits of faults and the things that I don't like. Or I can look at it positively and I can go, you know what, there's some fantastic things going on here. There might be things that need tweaking. They'll tweak them, I'm sure. But that's what we're looking at. That is the power of encouragement and the power of criticism. Because I can go, let me just develop. You see, the thing is with, the, with criticism and encouragement, there's one thing about both of them. They work. Don't they? Criticism works. It works really well. In actual fact, criticism works even better than encouragement does. And it's very difficult to gauge statistics on this, but generally speaking, they reckon for... Every criticism that you receive, you need something like 13 encouragements to get over the one criticism. See, both of them work, but criticism works faster. You know what? We can talk about so many things, can't you? You can say, oh, you know what? People say so many things about what you're doing, and this was fantastic, and that was fantastic. Let's take Caitlin and her football. So she plays brilliantly. She makes spectacular saves. And they say that so many people come up to her in a team, five people. That was a great save. Didn't you play well? That was lovely. And then one person goes up and thought, I can't believe that third goal you're letting. 
straight under your arms. It was through your legs. It was just, it's embarrassing. It's like, what, what does she take home with her after that? Yeah? Every, six people have told her it was fantastic. What a great goalkeeping performance. One person focuses on the mis one mistake you made. What do you take home with the girls in that situation? You take home the criticism, don't you? You know it in your work. You know it in your family. You know it in every situation. Twelve people come up and praise the worship team. One person comes up and pulls it apart. Guess what they go home with? Got to encourage one another. You see, the problem with criticism is criticism is, and people are vulnerable to it. That is the thing. Criticism creates self-doubt, it creates uncertainty, it creates insecurity, and it diminishes confidence. Criticism works very fast. People may love something that they're doing. You pull them apart. It's one of the fastest ways to get them to stop, even if they're good at it. We have to be so careful of it. Encouragement just doesn't work quite as quick. And you know, sometimes, even when we're out there, you th you're thinking, or you think, oh, you know what, somebody did something brilliant. Didn't the guys at the back there do a fantastic job? Or, you know, really appreciate the, you know, I'm getting my teas and coffees, and it's all nice, and people are cleaning up. And sometimes what we do is we think it, and then that's where it stays, isn't it? it stays in here. And you think, oh, really appreciate that job. Here's the thing. If you really appreciate something, or you see something that's fantastic, tell them. It's simple. Tell them. Because, so, and, I go, and this is even from guys at the front, can be the pastors, can even somebody like Pastor Danny. You know, and you kind of think, oh, Pastor Danny's on stage, or Pastor Nathan's on stage. You see, he's here every week, and they're talking, they do all of these things. You think, you know what, these are the guys that got it sorted. But you know what? They need the encouragement as well just as much, because they're people just the same as the rest of us. And sometimes they don't know. They brought a word, they brought a thought, they thought God shared something from the front, they bring it out there, and they're like, you know what, they've gone, they're confident, but they think, was that right? Was that right? Was that what people needed to hear? And somebody comes up and says, you know what, that's exactly what I needed to hear. And in your spirit, you just lifted. You just lifted. I want to just talk in the, in the final... So I'm not really at the end yet, but I want to bring five areas where we can encourage one another. Five ways of doing it. First is affirmation. Your affirmation and encouragement is deeply meaningful to someone who is doubting their potential in God's plan. You know, and I'm going to bring back Macedonia from two weeks. I said this is in the storms. People are in storms. Emil and Vesna out in Macedonia... Yeah, they're there, they're a couple, they see people get saved, it's only two or three, they get saved, their family then threaten to discommunicate them, so the people don't come to the church anymore, all the work they put in is disappearing, they're sat there and there's, like, there's nobody in the church, we put all this work in, we're seeing people saved, they're still not coming to church. How do you feel as a pastor and a pastor's wife at that point? When that's been going on, if that goes on year after year after year, I tell you, you feel miserable. You feel, I've seen it in Czech all the time, people who just think, you know what, I don't know what do I want to go on today. Maybe I've had enough. Maybe this isn't what God's called me to do. And you know, you can walk in and one word can change their whole attitude and their whole day. One word of encouragement. 
That's all we did when we went out to Macedonia. We went to and we just said, you know what, you guys are fantastic. You're doing a great job. You're working in an incredibly difficult environment. And you encourage them to keep going where otherwise they may quit. And you know what, the thing is here, we know, I know from you know, the, the, the message I brought three weeks ago and from the situations and some of the situations I know here, there are people going through storms here. We all know it. Lots of people going through storms and some pretty major storms. But you know what? When you can come alongside somebody in a storm and just bring a word from God, just bring an encouragement. It doesn't even have to be that. It might be just a scripture. It might be just, I'm praying for you. Something like that can make a person's day, can transform their day. Just a word of affirmation. We believe in you. I believe in what you're doing. I believe God is with you. See, people may feel nobody cares about them or that nobody values them. But then when you step in, they suddenly realise somebody is thinking of me. Somebody does value me. Proverbs 31 is interesting. Anyone know Proverbs 31? All the women should. <laughs> and this is what, what it says in there. It says, a woman who fears the Lord. It says lots and lots of brilliant things about women, which is just, it's just fantastic. About women and wives and how fantastic they are and all the blessings they are. And then it says, a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the reward she has earned and let her works bring her praise at the city gate. Do you hear that? Bring praise. But so often what we do is we sit there and we go, you know what, I'm not going to bring praise because here's the thing. If I bring praise to somebody, it might get a big head. It might get to them a bit, mightn't it? Don't want that to happen. Don't want people to get big-headed. No, we want to keep people humble in the church of God. But as you're saying here, it says, somebody does something great, somebody's fantastic, tell them. It's a pretty simple message, isn't it? Tell them, tell them, tell them. But you know what? The problem is so often we're rubbish at it. We can be quite good at thinking it, but we're really poor at communicating it. And that is what... God wants us to be as a family. We're a body of Christ, aren't we? 1 Corinthians 12, the body of Christ, different gifts, different talents. But the thing is, we're all body. We're all joined together. And if one little bit of us is hurting, then somebody should come alongside. We should all be hurting and we come alongside that person. If one person is successful, something fantastic is happening, we come along, celebrate with them. Because encouragement isn't just for people who are going through a bad time. Encouragement is like things that if you've done, somebody's done something fantastic, let's tell them. That was great. That's what we've got to do. Barnabas was brilliant when it came to affirmation. He sought out unlikely people and he lifted them and he promoted them. Second point, first is affirmation. And first, and this one is a little bit more leadership-based, but it's not just leadership because we can all be involved in this stuff. But it's coaching and releasing into ministry. In Acts 29, 23 to 31, Barnabas discerned the potential. We've already looked at it. He discerned potential in others. And then as we move into Acts 11, 22 to 24, then Barnabas discovered God at work. So he's discerning potential, he's discovering God at work in somebody's life, in Paul's life, and he's picking up on that. I'll just read this bit. It says, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them 
all to remain true to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Fantastic scripture. Absolutely love it. So what is happening is Barnabas is, is discerned potential. He brings somebody in. He brings Paul in into, into the church at Antioch. And I love what happens next because then Barnabas deploys people. He deploys the potential of others. In other words, you discern it, you discover what's go, what God is doing, and then you release people into what their gifting and ability is. Pastor Nathan said a few short while ago, it's not just about the pastors on the stage, it's the body of Christ, we're all in it together, and people have a gift and a calling and a talent, and it needs to be used for the body of Christ. Because if people are not using their gifts and the talents, somehow we fall short. The kingdom of God is not all that God would want it to be. And this is what I love, because sometimes there's a humility, and I mean a proper humility, that can be required in that. So what happened was Barnabas brings in Paul. Barnabas 1, Paul 2. He brings him in. They talk about the church, and in, in Acts 13, it's still relating to them, and it says the Holy Spirit came on the leadership of the church at that time, separating people for ministry, separate to go on mission, Barnabas and Paul. Still Barnabas and Paul. Very, very soon after, that is the last time it says Barnabas and Paul, because later, when they start talking about these guys, it suddenly become Paul and Barnabas. It's not an accident. It's not, a, oh, the writer Luke just wrote things. It was like, oh, I wrote Barnabas this time, Paul next, next time. It doesn't really matter what order it is in. The Bible is written in exactly correctly. What had happened is Barnabas had seen Paul's potential. He'd seen the growth of his ministry, and he realized that it's actually no longer me that needs to be important here. It's actually Barnabas. So it's Paul. I've got to release him, and it takes some humility to step back. You know what? I've been training. I've been equipping. I've been preparing somebody, and now we're going to release him. And I'm going to step back, and I'm going to encourage. I'm going to keep doing all the things that I've done, but this guy now runs with this whole thing with the apostolic church. I take a step back because when I take a step back, I can get involved in other things anyway and start bringing other people along. That takes humility. Coaching and releasing into ministry. The third one, very, very important, blessing. We're looking to bless people, aren't we? The choice to speak in faith and in grace and the choice not to respond to criticism with criticism or to insult with insult because that's where it gets difficult isn't it sometimes you know if everything's going well it's not too bad but somebody starts having a go at us that's where it gets tricky isn't it we choose to speak with blessing i'm now talking about this thing the most powerful weapon on the planet the tongue proverbs 18:21 death and life are in the power of the tongue uh, this is it. We're doing a sermon on encouragement. Everything's encouragement, but this is the bit where we all go, ooh. Isn't it? Death and life in the power of the tongue. What you choose to say impacts people. And what I loved about Barnabas is the fact he was a guy who chose to speak blessing over people's lives. As I say, it's when people have a pop at you. It's when things get difficult or the situation gets a little bit heated or you don't like something. That's when it gets difficult, isn't it? Challenge with the tongue comes when we're not happy. 
So you're in a church service, for example. You've had the worship. Worship was good. Worship was excellent. Preaching was helpful and effective. Welcome was wonderful. Teas and coffees was marvellous. But you know what? There was an event on on Wednesday night for which we needed help. And Nathan had come forward and he said, we need volunteers. We need lots of volunteers. We need you to give up half of your day. And you don't want to. Guess what happens then? We forget, don't we? The tongue doesn't bother thinking about the great worship and the encouragement word and, and the great welcome. The tongue goes, oh, I can't believe he's done that again. Can't believe, why does he want me to volunteer again? He's always wanting me to volunteer. Don't like Nathan. He's always just constantly demanding things of me. And, and he goes on and on and on and on. Do you see how it happens? Because it, it starts small. But then we build it and build it. The more negative you get, the more you build the negativity, the worse it gets. And suddenly by the end, he's the most oh, terrible man in the universe. He's awful. You can handle it, can't you? You're all right. <laughs> it's just, all it is, it's just a little illustrations to show you how these things happen. It's what we choose to focus on, isn't it? Tongue is the powerful weapon, but the thing is, is what were you choosing to focus on? We love everything about the service and there's one thing that we don't like or with the church, everything's great, there's one thing we don't like. We've got to focus on the great things and work to improve the things that are, are not so good as opposed to focusing on the negative thing and the thing that's not working and making that into the biggest, worst thing possible. It's pretty simple stuff this morning, but it's powerful because this is the stuff we live in, isn't it? This is where we are. As churches, and you know, not just Junction 28, it's all across the country, all across the world. These are the practical realities of life that we have to deal with. Blessing. Fourth one is simply this, freedom to learn. There was freedom to learn under Barnabas's leadership. And when I mean that, I mean is somebody can make a mistake and not get shot down for it. That doesn't mean we haven't, we haven't necessarily got to have correction. There's got to be proper channels for things. And, and people need to be helped to do things better. There's all of that stuff going on. But the bottom line of it all is, is that my God is a God who forgives. Peter asked him, I think, didn't he? Oh, how many times is that? Seven times? Oh, no, no, no. It's a few more than that, wasn't it? It was a few more than seven. See, God is a God of second chances. It's a good job for every single one of us that God is a God of second chances. But it would be great if we could kind of get God's perspective on it and give people the same second chances that he gave. That's why Barnabas was a son of encouragement, because he understood who God was. And he says, you know what, John Mark's bailed here. Yeah, he's messed up, but you know what, I still see something there, and I'm going to pull him up, and I'm going to give him another chance. And as a result, John Mark became highly useful even to the person who didn't want him back on the trip. We've got to give people that right and that space to make mistakes. And the fifth one is this. And I'm not talking just to leaders here with this one. Lead by example. You don't have to be a leader to lead by example. Indeed, leadership, John Maxwell said, leadership is influence. This is his most famous quote, probably. Because leadership is influence. You influence people who are around you, who are connected to you all the time. doesn't matter whether you've got a position or not. It is completely irrelevant. You influence people, and as you influence them, you are leading them. So lead by example. Encourage. Encourage. Bless people. Affirm people. 
And as I said at the start, we came back to the storms. There were people going through storms. And last time the focus was right in on that storm, what you're going through, and the fact Jesus is in the boat with you. Jesus is there. He's the Son of God. He can help you. But even in the midst of our storms, let's not just keep our eyes on ourselves. Let's be aware that we are one member of the body of Christ. And other people have also got storms. They've got difficulties. They've got challenges. They've got good things going on. And we need to be a part of that. We need to encourage them. And to encourage, we need to use our mouths. And as I say, we can do prayer. We can do all sorts of stuff here. But you know what? That's not how it works. I can pray and close off this sermon. But actually, this is a practical, activating task, isn't it? You don't need prayer to encourage. You just need to identify something somebody's done and then go and tell them well done. Not just for five minutes after the service, but to actually create that and build that up. You know what? If somebody's doing something well, I'm going to encourage them because I don't know the state of their heart. I have enough challenge trying to figure out the state of my own heart sometimes, let alone other people's hearts. So if you've got a word of encouragement, you don't know how significant and important that could be to that person at that moment. It may be God stirring your heart to actually speak to them because they need that word for that moment. We don't want to miss that opportunity to bless them as we do.